You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey, we are so glad that you're here with us at Calvary. So let's start, let's start with this. Let's start by talking about Netflix, if we can. I'm not going to ask how many of you have a Netflix account, although I would be interested at some point to know how many of you are logging in with someone else's account. That's a different sermon. But uh, So I want to ask this question as we start. Not ju- it doesn't have to just be Netflix. It could be any streaming service. But how many of you have ever binge-watched a show? Oh, okay, very good. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. I've only binge-watched two shows in, in my life. The first one that I binge-watched was season one of Daredevil, which I still think is one of the best, uh, one of the best seasons of TV ever. And if you haven't seen it, well, then you have homework. And uh, the second show that I binge-watched was Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Yo, let's talk about this. I watched episode one on a Friday. Friday's my day off. And then I said, oh, now I know what I'll be doing all weekend. Because, uh, now can I ask how many of you have seen Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? Okay, all right, we got, these are my people right here. Now, uh, now, just so you know, if you're not aware of what the show is, because, you know, maybe you just got here from Cuba, and so you're like, what? You know, so anyway. And so Marie Kondo, <laughs> Marie Kondo, Marie shows up at somebody's house with a translator, of course, because she only speaks Japanese. And she teaches these people how to get rid of all their clutter. But it's not just clutter. For couples, the clutter is the root problem as to why they can't communicate. For parents, the clutter is what's keeping them from loving their children. Uh, For kids, the clutter is what's hurting their parents. And tidying up is the physical gesture to thank their parents for their hard work and sacrifice. And here's what some people think. Like I've I've talked about Marie Kondo. They're like, oh, it's like hoarders. No, it's not like hoarders at all. Hoarders, if you've seen that, hoarders is about the spectacle of the mess. Tidying up with Marie Kanzo, that's a cleansing of how do we walk into the future. And you will cry. Make no mistake about it. You don't know, I don't know how they did it, but that guy that owned 167 pairs of sneakers, that man crept into my heart. And I somehow identified him even though I only owned four pairs of sneakers. And, and, and I'm telling you, I, I watched three episodes that weekend. I, I went through my entire closet. Right now, my closet is a place where kings and dignitaries can dine. It's incredible. The, that, so then the next day after church, I watched the rest of the season. And uh, we went through, oh, I'm sorry, that was Friday. So Saturday, we went through the rest of the season. And um, my wife and I, we were like, that's it. And we went through our entire house and tidied up it was incredible and uh so and we were on there we were on youtube because there are some questions that are unanswered so i went on youtube to find out um because she shows you how to fold certain things but i'm like you know how do you fold a scarf in the marie kondo non-animal way i've been folding my stuff like an animal my whole life and so i'm like how do i do this right and so anyway but we were just you know going through all of our stuff and so we, um, but what happened is that we had breakfast and then we started doing the tidying. And then 
uh, we started the kitchen. And so we were like going through everything in the kitchen. And then our kids are talking to us. We're not paying attention. We got things to do. And so, and anyway, then it's like our kids, man, they're like, they start getting cranky. And they, you know, they're like, I'm like, dude, why are you acting like that? And my wife is like, oh no, it's 5 p.m. We forgot to feed them lunch. And now it's dinner time. Like, okay. And uh, there's this phrase that my wife and I say every once in a while, like, we're not winning a parenting award today. And uh, so, anyway, now, but listen, this is, and I, I think it's just such a perfect example of the power of influence. In fact, Marie Kondo's name has become so influential that Marie Kondo, her name has become a verb. Like, you ever talk to people, like, yeah, we need to Marie Kondo this place. And, uh, and, and she's, and I love about that, that, listen, she's just like this, this one person helping people clean up their mess, and, and she just has had this tremendous influence, but that's what influential people do. Influential don't have to be people who have position or authority. Influential people are people that make us want to be different. And listen, it doesn't matter, by the way, if that influence is good or bad. Influence is always leading us somewhere, and it doesn't need a title to actually impact us. And here's the cool thing is that every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, has a sphere of influence. No matter your status, no matter your age, no matter your popularity, every single one of us has the ability to influence. And that is going to be at the heart of what Paul is going to talk to Timothy about today in our time together. Now, we're in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Old School uh, here at Calvary. We're working our way through this little book in the New Testament called 1 Timothy. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, you say, who's Timothy? Timothy was Paul's protege. He was Paul's son in the faith. And so Paul had sent Timothy to pastor a church in uh, the city of Ephesus, which is, you know, out in the the ancient world and um, modern day Greece, uh, uh, Turkey. And, um, And so Ephesus, if you're not aware, was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a diverse city in every way. It was a diverse city socially. It was a diverse city ethnically. And it was a very diverse city religiously. And so while the culture was very confused and constantly changing about what's good, true, and right, Paul's message, I just love how old school his message was because what he's sharing with us are just simple, unchanging truths that are like latitude and longitude. And we can chart the course of our lives by them. And what Paul encourages Timothy throughout this book is this one big idea, and that is to fight the good fight. Because as Christians, we don't fight like other people do. Other people sling mud, other people get personal, and they make everyone who doesn't agree with them their enemy, and yet that's just not the Jesus way. What Christians do is we love people we disagree with. We stand for what's true and show them that, we're, that it's right by how we live and the way in which we answer. And when we do this well, here's the point, when we do this well, we end up with a level of influence to help people not only make their lives better, but to them to be open to God transforming their lives. And if you're a parent, you want to be an influence as your kids get older. If you're a husband or a wife, you want to be an influence on your spouse. If you're a friend, you want to be an influence on those that you care about. And what Paul is going to show us is in three specific ways, he's going to show us how we can be influential in the lives of everyone around us, everyone that we care about, everyone that we know, and even some people that we don't. So we're going to start in chapter three, verse one. He says this, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or pastor, 
or overseer. He desires a good work. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he be puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are, all, who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, three things we're going to look at. Here's the first one, and that is I gain influence when I display proven character, proven character. Now, uh, the easiest way to kind of understand this is, have you ever, and I, I think most of us have, you ever put something in a like Tupperware storage bin and the thing that was in there before, it still kind of smelled like? You ever, you ever have that, that moment in, in, in your life? Uh, I, I once put a piece of chocolate cake in a storage bin, in like a little plastic bin, that previously contained garlic. And you could have killed a vampire with that garlic chocolate cake that I pulled out the next day. It was ruined. I mean, I still ate it, but that's not really the point. You can't let stuff like that go to waste. So, but here's the thing, right? Is that proven character has that same ability to kind of permeate, to create an atmosphere of influence so that everything it comes into contact with changes because of it, right? I tell my kids this all the time that you, listen, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. That a thermostat can tell you what someone's temperature is, but a thermostat changes the temperature. And listen, my wife and I, and, and listen, the, the thing about influence is that sometimes it comes with time. My wife and I have been married now for almost 25 years. And I have many of the same convictions. Now, I've learned so much. But as far as core convictions of what I believe about marriage are pretty much the same as what I believed when I had been married for 25 days. As now almost 25 years. But time and consistency is a power, powerful thing. Do you know how many people wanted to hear my thoughts on marriage when I had been married for 25 days? It was hovering right around zero because it's like, dude, like literally you just took the cellophane off of this thing. Like you just got married. Um, but let's see how it goes. You know, after 25 years, who wants to hear? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not or uh, been walking with Jesus for a long time or for a little. Everybody wants to know how longevity happens. Why? Because proven character brings influence. Not talking a good game. Character brings influence influence. That's why, listen, and you know this to be the case, one of my favorite people are couples who don't have kids yet talking about what they're going to do when they parent. Oh my, if I had, I mean, these are my favorite people in the world. Only, if nothing, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever seen a horror movie and someone goes, I'm going to go in the woods and see if the lost person is there. And you're like, oh no, you're about to get murdered. You know, and that's how I feel like when I talk, I, so someone does it, you know, when we have kids, we're going to do this like, oh, really? Is that what you're going to do? Oh, I can't wait because I read in this book. Oh, my goodness. And, and I'm like, oh, really? That's what you're going to do. And then I just love the look of them when they come back to church, like with their, you know, whatever, two month old. And I mean, they just look like they've been hit by a bus, you know, and because it's like, you know, because reading about having a baby and getting a newborn to sleep through the night. That is a, those are two totally different things, amigo. 
right? I mean, this, and that's, so listen, so Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to lay out, he's going to lay out 16 characteristics of someone who has the position of a pastor or a bishop or an overseer or elder. And these are terms that are used interchangeably in the New Testament. But I want you to notice a couple of things from this list. One is only one characteristic has to do with the giftedness of the leader, the ability to teach. That's it. Everything else has to do with the character, conduct, and personal life of the leader. Why? Because the people that you want to influence your life, you want those people to really believe what they believe. And, and, and listen, that's what's so powerful. If you, that's like, hey, if, the person is, if this person's going to leave, we want them to be passionately following Jesus. That's why, listen, when scandals come up in the church, they hurt us so deeply. Not because we forgot that leaders were human and make mistakes, but it's because we expected more. And because this other thing, and that is that hypocrisy kills everything that it touches. So we were, um, we were as a family, um, we like watching cooking shows, and so we'll try to catch a, this, this cooking show that we watch. And I don't know why, but I find, there, to me, nothing is more relaxing than watching a chef get yelled at. I just, just relax. I don't know, maybe it's just not me getting yelled at. And so, now, I, I, I can grill pretty well, but I can't cook anything. Uh, and I just, but I'm yelling at the TV too, like, that's not how you cook a risotto, dude. Like, first of all, I don't even know what goes in a risotto, but that's not how you do it. And so, uh, but what happens is, is that we're watching the show and this, there's this girl on the show who didn't really know how to cook. And I'm like, how did you get into a cooking competition? And so, but she kind of knew some basics. And then what would happen is she would like, when they were having like the dinner rush, she would just kind of like, you know, she was making it look like she was cooking. And then um, she'd kind of blend into the kitchen, ask other people for help. And then eventually, you know, the truth comes out and she gets ousted. And so I have this conversation with my kids, and they're like, I can't believe that. I mean, how could you not find, how could people not find out? And I'm like, guys, let me tell you the fateful tale of Millie Vanilli. <laughs> now, because we had a meeting earlier today and only four people in the meeting knew, how many of you remember Millie Vanilli? Okay, very good. These are my people right here. <laughs> now, I was explaining this to my kids, and my kids were like, who in the world is Millie Vanilli? I'm like, these guys, it was like a two-man boy band. They were huge right? It's like these two handsome guys that sing really well, and they were playing arenas, selling millions of albums in the 80s, and um, at least for a couple of years. And then during one show, the backing track got stuck, and they were exposed because they had been lip syncing the whole time, the whole time. And I mean, everyone was so upset. Everyone felt, you know, just cheated and whatever. And in and, and that one moment, their career was over. And people were like, I don't believe it. And I was like, girl, you know it's true. And, uh, and so, anyway. And if you didn't understand that joke, you have homework, all right? So after Daredevil, you got you to get that on Spotify, all right? And, uh, and so, anyway, I can, I can go on, but I'm going to have some self-control, which is one of my qualifications here. So, anyway, but there's just something that we don't respond well to hypocrisy, and, and that's a good thing. And so while this list is a list for pastors, for elders, for leaders in the church, all of us should be seeking these characteristics because these are the characteristics of people who have influence. And the lack of these things is what kills influence. It kills influence in our homes. It kills influence in our workplace, in our relationships, and certainly at church. And that's why the first characteristic, and what many scholars believe, is that the first characteristic is the only one, and that is that the, that the 
uh, he says that a leader must be blameless. And then all of the rest are simply clarifications or descriptions of someone who's blameless. Now, blameless doesn't mean perfect, but it refers to a pattern of behavior that would disqualify this person from ministry. And then all of the other characteristics simply describe what that type of blameless leader looks like. And so after that, he's, he's blameless. Um, it, it says that he is the husband of one wife, simply meaning that he's faithful to his wife. Because the last thing you want, right, is for someone to be teaching you about how to be happily married who has a couple of special friends on the side. Like, you know, nobody wants that. So the husband of one wife, he's, he's faithful. We want that. Um, he gives these next three characteristics. That is that he's temperate, he's sober-minded, and he's of good behavior. These characteristics could also be translated. He is clear-headed, wise, and respectable. Because the last thing we want is to be influenced by someone who lacks wisdom. Because listen, the, wise, the unwise have a lot to share, but none of it is helpful. All right? That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, Solomon writes, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Now, if you want to have a voice with your kids, when they, see, because when your kids are real young, they have to listen to you. But then your kids get to a certain age, right? And they start moving out and they start living their own life. If you want to have a voice with your kids as they get older, then you better become a person of wisdom. Because what, the, and, and once again, through the pattern of your life, when they see, man, my parents have made good decisions in their life. So when I'm about to make a big decision, I want to hear what my parents have to say. The next thing that he says is that uh, this leader is hospitable. That uh, literally means a lover of strangers. That is that you care about people. You're able to teach, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. This guy has some Bible kung fu that he knows how to share. And then uh, next is, the next three, uh, he shares three, and then the next three are what they should be. So the, the, the next three are not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. All these three deal with excess. The next three in the list are the answer to the previous three. So not given to wine, not violent, not greedy. And the next ones are not as gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. And that is no vice owns you. The next on the list says that one who rules his own house well. And literally, that means a person who manages. It's, it's, it's a term that speaks of administration and management. But it's talking about his family is walking with God. Why? Because influence begins at home. And if the family is out of control, then it's not the time right now for that person to think about leading in the church. They're not a novice. Uh, literally, that means they're not newly planted. That means they didn't come to know Jesus last week. And then they have a good testimony with those who are outside. And that refers to people outside the church seeing, seeing their proven character. And I'm telling you something, that people are watching. And whether you realize it or not, people are watching. I had this experience the other day. I, I went out to lunch with a friend of mine, and we got to the restaurant and sat down, and this guy walked up. And I didn't really recognize him, but the guy that was a server walked up and he said, hey, Caesar salad and a bottle of water. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a really good memory. And he's like, well, you know, I know when you come in here, that's what you order, Caesar salad and a bottle of water. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. So anyway, he goes, the other, my friend orders whatever he orders. And then he comes back and he says, uh, so, and because the guy remembered my order, I, I, I felt like I should ask him something about his life. I don't know. That's weird. But it's like, so how you doing, man? You know, things good? You know, so anyway, I just kind of make some chit-chat. And then he starts, you know, telling me about him and his girl, and things, things aren't going well. And, 
And he starts asking me, he said, hey, you know, would it be okay if I ask you a couple of questions? He's like, you're a pastor, right? And I'm like, yes. Uh, I guess maybe that, that's what pastors order. And, um, and, so, and so he's like, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. And so we start talking a little bit. And uh, he says, thank you. I'm getting that. I have a pizza that I'm delivering. And so it's all good. It's all good. I love you, bro. It's all good. <laughs> and just so you know, that happens in every service. And I make the same joke every time. And so anyway. But anyway, so the guy is saying to me, um, he's, he's telling me about uh, the things that are, you know, happening with this girl. And so, uh, so I say, look, man, you know, I can share a couple things with you. And so I shared a, a few things. And, um, and then he said something so interesting to me. And he said, you know, I used to work at this other restaurant. And, and he said, and I would see you and your family go in there all the time. And I've never seen a family that looked that happy. All you guys do, you guys were smiling and laughing. And I just... I just figured I wanted to ask you, I knew you were a pastor, but I just wanted to ask you a question to see, um, because I just saw how you interacted with your family, and I just thought, this is somebody I should talk to. And man, I was so taken by that, because, you know, like, people, um, my kids always ask me this, they're like, you know, is it, are, are you ever weirded out when, because, you know, I, I, I see Calvary people everywhere I go, and, um, and I love saying hi to people, asking them how they're doing, especially like at Publix, I start making, I start asking questions about why they picked up what they picked up, which is <laughs> hilarious, you know, it's like, really, that's the bread you're going with, huh? And they're like, well, I don't know, you know, I was like, dude, it's fine, <laughs> I feel interrogated, and so, it's like, really, wonder bread, really, signs and wonders, that's what you seek? <laughs> Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs and wonders, anyway, so, you can do some fun stuff, and so, anyway, but, uh, but I said, and I remember uh, talking to the kids, and, and I would say this. I'm like, you know, I never, uh, the thing I always think about is not the people who come up to me. It's the people who don't, and they just watch how I shop. And, and that's the thing I'm thinking about all the time. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> like somebody goes to Calvary, and they're like, you know, and then I'm like, hey, man, do you guys have any ribeye? Like, no, we don't. We only have sirloin. Sirloin is trash. Did you know that? And so, like, no, I don't, I don't say that. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, do you know that? Uh, woman was taken from the rib of man. That's why I only eat ribeye. It's biblical. And so, no, I don't say that. But that's a good, that's a good point. My, my point is this, is that whether you realize it or not, people are watching you. And in your workplace, when you've talked about how you're a Christian, you know what they're doing? They're watching you. And they're watching how you handle adversity, and they're watching how you handle success, and they're watching how you handle just kind of the mundane, um, every day of life. And that's why Paul says the last thing, if they don't have a good testimony with those who are outside, they will fall into the snare of the devil. Now, what, what does that mean? Now, if you're not aware, and once again, we don't have time to kind of do the full exposition of this, but the devil at one point, if you're not aware, was an angel whose name was Lucifer, which means bringer of light. And the Bible seems to indicate in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 that it says that in the day that he was created, all of these musical instruments came to be. And so there was this, uh, a lot of theologians believe that this is uh, this kind of poetic language talking about how uh, Lucifer, prior to his fall, led music in heaven to some degree. But then there came a point in time, according to the book of Isaiah, where pride filled his heart. And this is the thing that I think is the point that Paul is making. There came a point in heaven where Lucifer looked like an angel on the outside but had become a demon on the inside. And that is 
the issue that Paul, and that's why Paul says that it's a snare and it's the trap of the devil being something on the outside that you aren't internally. And that is something that the devil never came back from. And listen, that's what Paul is cautioning us about, about living a duplicitous life. Influential people, listen, they aren't perfect people. But influential people are seeking to become more like Jesus today than they were yesterday. That's what living with integrity is. Integrity is a word in the English language that comes from the root word integer. And if you remember math in the fifth grade, you know that an integer is a whole number. And that's what integrity is. Integrity is living with wholeness. And that what's happening internally and what's happening externally are the same thing. And the more days where what's happening externally is what's happening internally, the greater that you have influence with everyone that you know and even some folks that you don't. Well, he goes on in verse 8, and he says this, Likewise, or in the same manner, the deacons, servants, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing, and that is that I gain influence when I serve faithfully. And whether you realize it or not, the things that you do consistently are the things that you end up influencing people in your life. And that, that's just uh, the, the, the reality of it. And so when he says, he starts creating this list of things that uh, create influence for these uh, deacons. And the word deacon in the Greek language just means a servant. So uh, you can have the, that as a title, but in many cases, it's just someone who is faithful in serving. So while elders focus on the spiritual needs of the church, Deacons, people who serve, are, are focused on the physical and practical needs of the church. And so they have five characteristics that mark them. The first is that they are reverent. And what does that mean? Simply put, it just means this. They take serious things seriously. And I think one of the greatest qualities in your life, especially for us as Christians, the great, one of the greatest qualities you can have is joy. But that doesn't mean, joy doesn't mean being goofy. Um, and it definitely doesn't mean that we never take things seriously. I want to have fun, but I want to make sure that we take serious things seriously. I, I read this study that was done a couple of years ago uh, with high school students of 10 industrialized nations. So uh, it, was, it was several European countries. Uh, Japan was in it, Canada, United States. Anyway, 10 countries. And they were testing high school students on several, uh, in several areas. And here in, in math, you, the U.S. came in 10th. In science, we came in last, uh, tenth. In geography, we came in last. In literature, we came in last. In foreign language skills, we came in last. The only thing we came first in was self-esteem. <laughs> like, what? It's like, we're idiots, but we feel good about it. It's the weirdest, like, what in the world? And so... So once again, it should be like, we got to take serious things seriously, not just how we feel about ourselves. So reverent, you take serious things seriously, not double-tongued. That means this, that we're not gossipers or insincere. Listen, if you want influence with people, people need to be able to trust you. They need to be able to know that the conversation that they are having with you is not one that's going to be repeated. 
Number three and four, that they aren't given to much, much wine or greedy for money. We talked about that in the role of uh, elders. And then he says, they hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. That means they have a significant understanding about the Christian faith. And in verse 11, he says this. He says, uh, and then let their wives be reverent. And, and that's not, a, I love the New King James. That's why I've been teaching for forever. That's not a great translation of that word. It makes it seem like uh, the only people that can serve as deacons are the wives of deacons. And that's really not the case. The Greek word is the word gune, uh, which is a term of respect for women. It is the term that Jesus used in addressing his mom, Mary. Uh, he, said, he used the word, the word gune, which is this wonderful, uh, respectful word. In, in John chapter 8, when the woman caught in the act of adultery, when he says, woman, where are these accusers of yours? Um, he is speaking to her with that word gune. It's this wonderful word of respect. But what Paul is talking about is women who serve as uh, deacons and have that, that level of character where, where they can serve in that capacity. And so... But then Paul says this, for any of them, whether it's men serving as deacons, women serving as deacons, let them first be tested, then let them serve. This is the part that none of us likes, but it is absolutely necessary. That we can have all kinds of calling, but there comes, there's calling and then there's testing. And then when the character is proven, like we talked about in our first point, then we have the opportunity to step into the position that we're given. When I first became a Christian, uh, this is back in 1993, I, I figured when I first became a Christian, I, I was a musician, and I just, um, and I felt called to teach, but I figured that, you know, they, uh, they knew I was in a band, that we were on the verge of a record deal, and so I knew something about playing, and I knew a lot about the music business, and um, I had, we had the same management as Marilyn Manson, and used to play with them, and blah, 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 and so anyway, um, but instead of putting me on a stage, they did something totally different. They said, here's what we need. We need you to come here at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday and set up chairs and make coffee for these classes that we're going to be doing. And, and I remember at first, and I'm like, maybe they don't understand what I have done before. Like, I don't, you know, like I, I can play and, you know, and, and I want to teach. I don't really know how to teach, but I'd like to learn how. And so, and, and, and it, it's amazing to me that instead of, when I was a young Christian, instead of um, putting me in, in a position where people were going to be watching me, they found the most menial job and put me there. And so I'd get there at 6.30 in the morning and make coffee. I have no idea how to make coffee for five people. I only know how to make coffee for 100 people because that's how I made, uh, that's how I made coffee, like all those years ago. So to this day, I still only know how to make coffee for 50 to 100 people. And so, which you can imagine how that works at my house. And so she's like, Who, how in the world, world are we going to do? I'm like, well, get committed. You know, that's like, get serious. Here's a straw. And so anyway, so I'd, I'd, uh, I'd set up all the chairs. I'd get the coffee going. And then they'd have uh, all this bagels and fruit. So I'd be cutting all the bagels because apparently that people were incapable of that. So I'd have to, you know, Bob cut all the bagels for them. So they don't have to worry about it. All right, and get the fruit cut. Then they'd bring out this big block of cheese. And I'd have to chop all that up, and, and I, I want you to notice the phrasing that I used, um, because I still have these weird memories, because they would all make Bob's cutting the cheese jokes, and uh, these people needed Jesus in the worst way, and so, and I thought, once again, they were doing it, because I had, you know, I had, when I first became a Christian, I had a purple mohawk, uh, which is weird, because now I can only grow the reverse of that, which is blank here and hair on the sides, um, which is just nowhere near as cool, and so, and here's the thing that I, and I thought, you know, may, why are they doing this to me? And, and then I, here's what I learned. 
they weren't doing this to me. They were doing it for me because they cared about me. They saw potential in me. And, and once again, they saw a calling on my life, but they were like, you know what? We got to see if he'll be faithful in little first. See, that's why Jesus said, if you want to be great, serve. He said this in Matthew chapter 20, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to have influence in someone's life, serve. Care for them in practical ways. Parents, let me tell you something. Um, and and I, I've had this conversation so many times that, you know, when people say, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, quantity time, but we do quality time. Do you know that, listen, there is no way to have quality time without quantity time. Like you go out with one of your kids and you go run errands for three hours with them. And you know, there's like 10 minutes that you have like this really meaningful conversation. But what happens is if you just give like, hey, let's go in the car. I've only got 10 minutes. So let's just go deep dive right now. Like that doesn't work. What works is like, hey, we're going to do all this. And then just something naturally comes up. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we don't do a million events here at Calvary, where it's like, you know, we're just going to keep you out of your house every night of the week. No. You know what I want? I want you to be home for dinner. That's what I want. I want you to sit around the dining room table and talk to your kids and have your kids talk to you. And then something so amazing is going to happen. Because listen, in some cases, and this is important, man, if we're parents, in some cases, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God will not be something that you do. It will be someone that you raise. And listen, and I know it's a thankless job. And listen, can I tell you this? I think this is one of the reasons why men have such a hard time in parenting because there's no scoreboard. There's no, way, there's no scoreboard to know how it is that we're doing. And then we just kind of like make our own scoreboard. Like, are, are the kids in jail? No, all right, chalk one up for us. <laughs> You know, are they doing drugs? No, chalk one up for us. You know, uh, anyway, so have they joined a gang? No, all right, chalk one. You know, so it's like three nothing on the double, you know. So, um, so but my, my point is, but listen, all of those, it's all of that time and all of those cumulative days and hours and weeks that lead to influence. Because when your kids need help, you want to be the voice that they listen to. And you want to have trained them to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And listen, and it only comes through being there in moments that they didn't realize that they needed you. And I know that that's totally counterintuitive, and yet it's 100% true. All right, last thing, and then we're done. Verse 14. He says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. If you pause there and give me your attention. Last thing I want to tell you is that I gain influence when I receive wisdom. When I receive wisdom. So many things influence us and we don't even realize it. There's people that are influencing us and we don't realize it. What we believe influences us. Listen, what we watch influences us and we don't even recognize it, but it's the absolute truth. When my daughter Mia was about five years old, she loved the movie Kung Fu Panda. Here's a picture of Kung Fu Panda. If you're not aware, if you've never seen this, um, this is 
a very good movie. And by the way, if you've seen the movie The Matrix, The Matrix and Kung Fu Panda are essentially the exact same movie. And once you realize that, it's going to blow your mind. So you're welcome. Anyway, but, um, but she loved Kung Fu Panda so much, I couldn't let her watch it anymore. You say, well, why, why is that? What, what kind of like evil parenting is this? Because when Mia watched, watched, we used to watch Kung Fu Panda, she wanted to do Kung Fu. And she would look for a villain, but the only person she could find was her two-year-old brother. And so she would, every time she'd see the movie and she'd kind of start karate chopping her brother and then her brother would inevitably cry. So I did this experiment and I said, we're not going to watch uh, Kung Fu Panda for a while. Instead, I'm going to introduce you to a new show called The Care Bears. And so I don't know if you remember The Care Bears. Let me tell you something about this amazing show that came out when I was a kid. Um, now, this is back in time when you had to answer the phone to know who was calling you. Uh, this is way back. All right. But. Um, I want you to imagine a group of bears with different gifts, like the X-Men, but without all the trauma and emotional problems that the X-Men have, all right? And so when the Care Bears had a problem, because in the town of Carolot, let me tell you something, they had issues, but they would join hands. And I, I, I know it's hard to be like, who in the world came up with this TV? Listen, they would join hands and literally love, goodwill, and kindness would shoot out from their stomach and literal, and solve the problem. And by the way, they were bears, so the bigger your stomach, the more love you had to give. And that was a societal situation that I could assimilate well into, and I could really get behind that. So anyway, um, but I was fairly confident that there would be no blood uh, as a result of the Care Bears. Now, I did see this picture recently, which is the I Don't Care Bears, and uh, I'm, very wor- I'm glad they didn't make this TV show. These guys are all tatted up, listen to punk rock, and smoke weed all day. So what channel is that on? 420. And so, anyway, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Uh, some things are not in my notes. And so, and that's always what gets me in trouble. And so, anyway, <laughs> so, we, I, so my, I start my experiment, because really, Parenting is really just like, is an experiment with live ammo. So, so I start this experiment, and I'm like, we're going to start watching the Care Bears instead of Kung Fu Panda. And you know, I'm telling you, as part of my social experiment, Mia, out of nowhere, would just hug her brother, kiss her brother, and it was, it was amazing. And, and because she learned that, like, explosive love can solve all of your problems. And that, that, was, that was the thing. And, and listen, and, and, here's, and here's really the point. Because if that, if, if just like a 30-minute program can influence you that much, so how you treat someone else. Think about what you believe about God or who you believe about God to be, listen, is influencing you more than you can possibly realize. Because, listen, one of the things that we see, this is this interesting principle throughout the Bible, and that is that you become like the God that you worship. When the children of Israel in the Old Testament, when they would move away from God, they, become, they became aggressive, they became violent, they became vile because of the gods that they started worshiping. And that's why verse 16 in this is so powerful. Paul tells you in verses 14 and 15 why he's been writing all of this for the first three chapters. And that is so that you know how to conduct yourself in the church. And then in verse 16, he says, great is this mystery of godliness. Now, most scholars agree that this was a Christian creed that was in existence in the Christian community. And and if you're not aware of what a creed is, a creed is a carefully crafted statement. 
Now, in the ancient world, many people in that culture couldn't read or write. And even if they did, they had no access to uh, writing materials. And so the, the early Christian community, as the Jewish community of old, did the same thing. They would craft statements to make sure that every generation said the same thing and believed the same thing for generations. So by the time that Paul is writing this letter, there's several creeds that are already in existence. In 1, Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, that you know we believe that Jesus came into the world, or pardon me, that's uh, 1 Timothy 1, um, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried according to the scriptures, and then he rose again according to the scriptures. That was a Christian creed that we looked at. This one speaks of the life and mission of Jesus. And that is, and by the way, this is important, that this was not something, it, it, it's a creed that the Christian church in Jerusalem developed and the Gentile churches embraced immediately. Not eventually. They, this was in the very, very beginning, the first few years after the resurrection. They, and it's centered around six statements, which in typical Jewish fashion are uh, three couplets of two. So the, every, uh, every two lines are meant to be uh, read together. So the first is, God was manifested in the flesh and justified in the spirit. And so this belief that Jesus was both God and man, which is tough to comprehend, and if you're like, man, that's tough to comprehend, yes, that means you're paying attention, because it is tough to comprehend. And, and it's because it's mind-blowing to think that God, who is infinite, would make a decision to occupy a single, finite human body. And yet he did that with the person of Jesus. And then that he was not only manifested in the spirit, but that he was justified or pronounced righteous in the spirit, that he lived in that body, he lived a perfect life and thus was able to be our sacrifice as is evidenced by the resurrection of the dead. The second two, that he was seen by angels and preached among the Gentiles. Like what do those two things have in common? And yet so much. That is, there was a heavenly witness and an earthly witness. The angels in heaven sang at his birth. Why? Because the angels were the ones that were the least removed from him. And they knew about God's redemptive plan. The Gentiles were the ones that were furthest removed from him because they didn't grow up with the scriptures and yet they both believed in him as well. The last two, he was believed on in the world and received up in glory. This was his reception. That he was, that was his, his earthly reception that people who around the world had heard his message, they heard the gospel and believed. And then his heavenly reception that he was received up in glory is that he sits now at the right hand of the Father. Here's the point. Jesus was manifested in the flesh and influenced the entire world one life at a time. 2,000 years later, he's still influencing and transforming every life he comes into contact with. And if you're his follower, here's what that means, that he's influencing, and, influencing you and changing you and seeking to make you more like him. And what that means is that you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to stay in the rut that you're in. And you don't, certainly don't have to let the past control you or dictate who you are or who it is that you're going to become. But here's the question. Who do you want to influence you? Because guess what? You get to choose. Um, I've been playing guitar now for about 30 years. And when I started playing, I remember the songs that I wanted to learn because I wanted those players to influence how I played. And there was something that at 16 years old, I understood something innately, and I know that you understand it too. And that is that who you spend the most time with, who you look up to, 
And who you want to be like is ultimately who you'll become because these people are gonna, we're open to their influence. And if you decide then you say, no, but I want to be more loving and gracious and wise and generous and principled and unshakable, then I know of no better person than Jesus. In fact, you know what I, I love is that in the book of Acts chapter 11, uh, the gospel gets to a city called Antioch. And the people of Antioch, a lot of people become Christians, and then the people that don't, they start insulting the early believers. What were called, it was called the way, uh, because Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. So early Christians were called followers of the way until the believers went, to, until the gospel came to Antioch. And the people of Antioch had this clever little name that they'd call the followers of Jesus. They would call them Christians, which mean, means this, little Christs. And it was meant as an insult. Like, look at these like little Jesuses running around, you know, trying to be like him. And they meant it as an insult. And the early believers loved it so much that they just took that name. You know what? That's the whole point. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to be like him. Let him influence, influence us and transform us and, and change us. And listen, I just, I, there's something that I just, I love so much about the early church. And this is one of the many things. And that is that uh, even the enemies of Jesus saw Jesus in his followers. My friends, that's real influence. And that is really my hope and my prayer is that people, even the people who are antagonistic towards Christians and antagonistic towards us would see Jesus in us. Let's pray. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that we have that opportunity to be so transformed by you that we would see, that people would see us people would see you and all that we say and do. So I pray, Lord, that you would work in and through us. Do your good work, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.